you pray with me as I pray? Oh, Father, we thank you for the truth that we just sang. You are a good, good Father. And I confess before my brothers and sisters in Christ that I often question your goodness. And I really have no reason to. For the cross proves your love. Lord, we are a blessed people. We have been anointed with your salvation that we might declare your goodness. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity now to open up your word as we worship you and see what you are revealing to us about your good plan. May you open our eyes that we would behold the truth and the beauty of your word. And may you open our ears that we may hear your voice and remember your goodness. And may you open our hearts that we might forever be changed as we live forever with you. It is in the grace of Jesus Christ that we pray these things and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. In the last part of the Gospel of John, John writes what Jesus says from the cross, it is finished. And he bows his head and he commits his spirit and accomplishes for us who believe in him our redemption. And in the last letter that that same apostle John writes in Revelation, at the end of that letter, he records these words of Jesus. It is done. And the truth is, we live in this tension between it is finished, our redemption, and it is done, our renewal. That's the space we're living in. And so we're calling this series that we're starting today already finished but not yet done. It is a finished work, but it's not fully completed. And that it is us. It's individual followers of Christ and it's his church. And I'm not big into introducing the series or the book. Most of you guys have study Bibles that know more about the Bible than I do. So if you're really interested in the backstory of Revelation, some of it will unfold as we go through this series. But you're welcome to, to, to dig in um, to that on your own. I'm going to jump right into the Word of God as we look at today's message is the material and the message. What is the book of Revelation in the Bible for? And what does it have to say to us today? And that's what we're going to use as our start. And the question I'm going to hopefully answer today is, what in the world is God doing? What in the world is God doing? Because that's ultimately the answer to the question, what is Revelation in the Bible for? It is to tell us what in the world God is doing. So open up your Bibles to Revelation. It's a fairly easy book to find. It's our first Sunday in it, at least in a while, um, because it's at the end of your Bible. So in Revelation, and we're going to start in chapter 1, and we're going to look at the material. Look at the first three verses of Revelation 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to the bondservant John, 
who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. The material, in a nutshell, is him. Him is Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Christ. But this letter, or this, this final book of the Bible, is um, a hard one to teach through. It's a hard one to prepare to even teach through. And the reason is because it is a mix of what are called genres. Like in, in, in our normal reading, we have fiction and nonfiction and biographies and autobiographies and poetry. And, and the Bible has many of those things as well. Like it has poetry and it has historical narrative and it has prophecy. And this book is a mix of all of them. And it jumps back and forth throughout them. So in this book, it is, it is what's called an apocalypse. And we think of the word as apocalypse as meeting destruction because we've seen a lot of movies. But when the Bible says apocalypse, it is actually, the, the, the Greek word there means an unveiling. And we'll get back to that in a minute. So this is an apocalypse. It is an unveiling of what God is doing, even as it is a letter just like the letter we just looked at in 2 Timothy was a letter to Timothy, this is a letter that is being written to the church. John is told to write this letter to the churches, and we'll see that next week in the second half of, of, the, cha of the first chapter. So it's, a, it's an apocalypse, it's an unveiling in a letter that, oh, by the way, has a ton of prophecy about things that are to come, even as it records history, a historical narrative. So it is a mess of a book, basically. And it's also why it's often not taught through very often in the church. One of the reasons is because many of you are really excited that we're in Revelation today, that we're starting. In fact, some of you are too excited because you read the Left Behind series years ago, or you saw the movies, and you are pumped to figure out what really is supposed to happen. I would say bring it down a notch. Some of you are scared. In fact, I think there are people that are not here this morning because they are scared of the book of Revelation. Guys, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear in it. For it is a revelation from him and of him. And because we're his, this, is, this, this book is written that it would give us great courage, not fear. We need, but I get that there are some symbolic imagery throughout this book that is sometimes unrattling and unnerving and oftentimes unclear. And although we'll deal with a lot of that symbolism as we go along in this study, I'm not going to make it the thing. We're not going to sit and talk about whether this is an image of this and who the Antichrist really is. And because, here's why. Not because that's controversial and it's going to mess up the church, but because, as, as my friend Logan likes to say, the juice just ain't worth the squeeze. We can spend a ton of time talking about what a certain symbol means and get to the end and go, we don't really know that that's what it means anyway, and what difference does it really make for today? And, and the worst part is miss the beauty of what the symbol is even pointing to. So we're going to spend our time looking at who all of this is pointing to without breaking down in, in great detail all the different parts of it. Ultimately, this book is, is not meant to be broken, is not meant to be fully understood as it is to be fully appreciated for telling us, like showing us the fullness of Jesus Christ and the perfection of his plan. That's ultimately what this is about. So why even talk about it at all? Well, one, it's in the Bible. 
So we ought to go through, we, we go generally as a, as a pattern of teaching here at Cornerstone, we go through books of the Bible. It's in the Bible, so we're going to talk about it. The other thing is, the second coming of Christ is the most talked about doctrine in the Bible. His, which is where the book ends, Revelation ends with his second coming. It is by far the most talked about doctrine in all of Scripture. For example, his first coming, his first advent, that we spend four weeks here every year, rightly so, preparing our hearts for his first coming, has 129 references to it in the Old Testament. This, his second coming, that we're going to be looking at in the months to come, has 329. His first coming, 129. His second coming, 329. Why? Because that's really, the, this whole story that God has been telling since the garden is driving us back to the, to the point, which is the end, which is back to the garden. The new city, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. Guys, what I'm hoping we get out of this 23-week, five-month study is that we really learn to appreciate that God has a, has, a, has a plan, and he is in control of all of it, regardless of what our eyes are telling us as we look out at the world. Revelation is written to remind us that God is in control and that he is unfolding his plan. The, the great theologian who just went to be with the Lord fairly recently, J.I. Packer, says it this way, Revelation demonstrates that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the climax of history, Believers live after Jesus' first coming, that's us, suffer as he suffered, that's us, but full of hope because of his atoning death and their assurance of his future victorious, glorious return. That's what Revelation is here for. It is here to tell us that the same God who perfectly fulfilled all 129 prophecies of his first coming will perfectly fulfill all 329 promises of his second coming, and is in the process of doing that even as we sit here today. So what is the material? Look at the first, ver the first few words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So is it, is it a revelation of Christ or a revelation from Christ? The answer is yes. That's right, John. Good answer. The answer is yes. The answer is that it is both of those things. Guys, as I said, there are more Old Testament references. There are more Old Testament references in the book of Revelation than in any other New Testament book, by far. Why? Because God is trying to show us, as, he, as at the end, this is the last letter that's written. It's written around somewhere in the mid-90s A.D. John is stuck on the island of Patmos. He's writing this letter, and, he's, and, and God is revealing to him, here's where all of this stuff comes together. And, and it is throughout, there are f a little over 400 verses in the book of Revelation. There are almost 300 references or allusions to Old Testament words. Out of the 400 verses, almost 300 of them have some reference to the Old Testament. God's intentionally trying to tell us something. He's telling us, I've only been telling one story, and his name is Jesus Christ. John's gospel showed us this, didn't it? I'm not going to have you turn there, but John, the same guy that wrote Revelation, he's also the one that writes, he starts, how does he start his gospel? John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being 
through him, and nothing that has come into being is coming into being apart from him. And then he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then you jump down to verse 14, and he says, And that word that was at the beginning became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we, through his word, have beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And then if you get to verse 18 of John, he says, No one has seen God except the one only begotten Son has revealed him. And I love how John says, has revealed him. And then we get to this book of Revelation, because part of what we're going to see here in Revelation is it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning we get to see a part of Jesus in Revelation that we don't normally see. We see Jesus throughout almost all of the New Testament writing. We see him as the shepherd, and he is. But guys, get this. Our Jesus is a conquering king, and we don't think of him that way enough. Our Jesus will rule, will rule and reign forever as the conquering king. And, and John, in Revelation, is going to reveal that part of Jesus to us, and we'll see that clearly next week, that we don't normally get to see. Here's the other thing Revelation is revealing. When I said it's, it's, this, it's this unveiling, when it, when it says here, the revelation of Jesus Christ, that word revelation there is the Greek word apocalypsis. What we think of as apocalypse, which is just translated unveiling. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. What, John is, what Jesus is doing through John to us today is he is pulling back the veil to reality. Guys, get this. This is not reality. This is our reality, but it's not reality. It, it, Revelation is showing us political and social reality from God's eyes in the spiritual realm. That's what Revelation is showing us. I'm going to say that again because I'm not sure that I said it very clearly. What Revelation, what is, is revealing to us is, is what is actually happening here politically, socially, culturally from the spiritual perspective. Our, here's our problem. We take the spiritual, like like a lens, and we try to lay that over everything we see in the physical. God does it exactly the opposite. The, this physical is just an overlay of the reality of the spiritual world. That's what God is interested in. And so Revelation is pulling back, here is what spiritually God is doing in the world today, physically. And here's what it's going to look like. It is, actually, it is literally revealing reality to us. That's what Revelation is going to do. And in a phrase, guys, it is a book about kingdom conflict. It is a book about kingdom conflict. I'm going to show you, and we're going to spend most of our time in this, I'm going to show you kind of as an overview of the book, as an introduction to the book, what I mean by that. It is an, it is all about kingdom conflict. Because we have chapter 1, and we'll finish that up next week, and, and it's the revelation of here's, the, here's what Jesus really looks like. Bam. Then we go to chapters 2 and 3, which we'll spend a couple weeks on, and it's the message to the church. That's us. And then chapters 4 through 18 are these interwoven glimpses of the conflict going on between two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms. There's his, and there's everything else. 
And the rest of these chapters are about that. Now turn, so flash forward, we're going to pass that, flash forward past the message of the church. We're going to get there. Flash forward to all this conflict, and we're going to get to sort of the culmination of the conflict in chapter 17. So we're fast forwarding to the scary part. Well, there's some scary stuff we skipped to, but it's not scary because we're on the winning team. Look at chapter 17 of Revelation, verses 1 through 6. Then one of the seven angels who had, who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a cup, a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. It actually means I was greatly astonished. So who's the she? Who's this Babylon, this mother of the harlot? Who is she? She is the world system. She is the political powers, the cultural norms. We'll see that as we move along, but she is the world system that is controlled by Satan. The false prophet, the beast, the antichrist, all of these are part of and in control of this world system. And we just skipped all that. We'll go through it, but we just skipped all that and we jumped right to the end. But guys, we have to get to understand really what Revelation is for and what God is doing on earth right now, we have to kind of grasp what the other side of the coin is. If, if, if the church is, if his kingdom is one side, what's the other side? This is telling us what the other side is. So look at verse one of, of verse 1 of chapter 17. She is a great harlot. It says, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Guys, now... When we see the words like immorality, we think, we think of sexual sin, and, there's a, and, and that is certainly true. But that is not the only, because all sin is idol worship, and all idol worship is sin and immoral. It's not just about the dark things. Anything that we put up in front of God, any world thing we escalate above God's things is an idol and thereby immoral and a sin. And she's in control. The world system is feeding that whole thing. So one, she is a harlot, an adulterer, because all sin at its heart is spiritual adultery. Number two, she is the great seducer. Look at verse 2. And the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and, and those who dwell on the earth, that's everybody else, made drunk with the wine of her immorality. Guys, all who buy into the world's ways and, and live in, in, in accordance with what the world tells us to do, 
is drunk with her immorality because they are against God's kingdom. She is also, if you look at verse 3, the great perpetuator of false religion. So she's a harlot, she's a seducer, and she is also religious. The world is religious. Did you know that? Guys, the world, the, not just the false religions of the world, I mean, the world generally is, I, as, as, a, as an unbelieving, Bible-mocking, evolution-teaching atheist for the first half of my 50 years, I will tell you that evolution, and those people that strongly hold to that position, that is a religion to them. Because I was one of them. It is no different. It, I, I get that there's some finely tuned nuances to how you define religion. I'm just telling you, that's a religion to them. Guys, the, dare I say it, the LBGTQRSITUVWXYZ, whatever it is now, that is going on, it, for those people who are radically there, that is a religion to them. And don't let them tell you any differently as they put down your religion. Because guess what? Christianity is, yes, I know it's a relationship, it is also a religion. It happens to be the right one. Right? But it is a, a system of beliefs based on the Word of God that we should be willing to give our all to. And, and the world, she is religious. Look at what she says. It says, it says, And he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. That's the Antichrist, more than likely, and all of the false religions of the world that Satan is in control of, that, that basically have all of their basis, the thing that makes everything different than Christianity is all of the other religions of the world are all about you and what you can do. Even those that profess faith in Christ but aren't real. The Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, man, I'm, I'm making friends today, aren't I? The Roman Catholic Church, right? All of those that, that are based on you have to do something. Those are false religions. Because the focus is on the wrong person. The focus is on what we do or what we have to do. Christianity, real biblical Christianity, is the focus is all he did. We don't have to do. He did. It is finished. Paid in full. Guys, it, there used to be a bumper that was really popular about in the past. It, was, it said, God is my co-pilot. Everyone, you see that? Guys, if God is your co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. Right? Here's the truth. The car you're driving is his, and you stole it. So hand him the keys and get in the back seat, and just trust him to take you where you need to go. But the world system, the great harlot, wants us to believe it's all about you be you, man. You be you. Right? Or, you know, maybe it's not you be you. Maybe, maybe you're not going to buy into the whole you be you thing, but you be working to earn his love. It's all false. It's all from the pit of hell. It's all from the great Satan. How do I know this? Because in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Paul makes it clear. This, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And this life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me, period. And I do not nullify the grace of God. 
by thinking I can do something. Because if I could do something to earn God's favor, then Christ died for nothing, Paul says. Then God hung his son on a cross for no reason. It's just not the truth. Here's the scary part. She's also a great deceiver of God's people. Look at, verse, look at chapter 18 and verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. Guys, there's one kingdom. Or there's two kingdoms. There's his and there's the world's. There's his and there's hers in this, in this verbiage that John is using here. But here's the scary part. It is possible to be in his kingdom to be sitting here today and calling yourself a Christian and be seduced and distracted. But look at what it says. Come out of her, the world, who? My people. Right? That's, that, that is implying the people who are professing faith in Christ are stuck in the world system. Here's how we know that's true. Because our morality within the church, especially in the Western church, is no different than the world's morality or immorality. The, the amount of divorce, the use of pornography, it, it is all the same within the church and without the church. I'm going to ask Eric Bailey to come up and share a little bit about what we're doing this summer to thwart the work of the Great Babylon in this area. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, he, he's a lot more positive than I am and much nicer, as you all know. And so I'm just going to say this. Whether it's, whether it's the group that Brian and he are leading on Tuesday or the one that er, um, Sean's leading on Monday, here's what I want to know. It's how come, I think it's awesome that 20-something guys have shown up. I want to know why I'm sitting in a room, why I'm sitting in a church that maybe has 50 or 60 men that are eligible to be part of this. And I'm, sit, I'm one of those 20 men because I need to be one of those 20 men. And I'm wondering where the rest of you fellows are. Right, so step up. Because, because the desperation is real. Guys, if you don't get what's going on here in Revelation 17, get it. The reason Revelation is in the Bible, I'll just cut to the chase, because I know we're a, little, we're a little short on time. I'll just get, the reason the Revelation is in the Bible, because it's a wake-up call. Just like all prophecy, it is a wake-up call to God's people to start living for what really matters. And the problem is, our ch the church is just as immoral as the, as the world. Our, our consumer patterns are just the same. We, we spend our money on the same stuff the world spends our money on. Did you know that only 6% of all Bible-believing Christians actually give money to the Lord on a regular basis? 6% nationally in our country. Because at Cornerstone, a third, a third of you give regularly. And by regularly, that's just at least once a month. But 40% of you have, who, have, who are regular attenders of Cornerstone Church have never, ever given to this body. I don't know who they are. I don't know names. All I got was the numbers. But guys, okay, are we about money? No, we're not about money. We don't even pass a plate. We don't talk about it. But here's the thing. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there's your heart. That's why it matters. 
We look at the same stuff the world looks at. We spend our money the same way, the same. We spend our time. Guys we, guys, we say that we are a people of prayer, and we believe that prayer moves the arm that moves the world, to quote Charles Spurgeon. And yet, only 15% of you who attend this service are coming to our worship and prayer any time between 9.15 and 9.45. We believe that there's power in corporate fellowship, the, the witness of the one and others, but only about a quarter of you will stick around during our worship and fellowship when this time is over. Do we really believe what the Bible tells us, then we'll do it. It's, it's not just our time and our money, and, and it's how we parent. We parent just the way the world parents. We run our kids from activity to activity. We sacrifice Sundays because of sporting events. We worry more about grades, and how's your report card, and I'm going to give you some money for, an, every, for every A and for a certain GPA. Guys, your goal as a parent is not to get your kid into Harvard. It's to get your kid into heaven. That's it. The rest of it's all going to burn. Get it. We wonder why 60 to 80% of our kids are walking away from the faith after they leave the church because we've told them that life is out there. I mean, you, may, you may look and go, oh, I would never use those words with my kids. What are you doing? That's what speaks. Is it, are your actions speaking so loudly they can't hear what you have to say about God's word? Guys, the time is short. The consequences are eternal. What are we living for? Are we living for the one who died for us? I get that this is a hard message. I was encouraged by Tony, our elder, elder, our elder advisor, who's 88 years old. He said, Doug, if you preach this message, people will leave. But guys, I preach this message because it's the truth. I'm not excited to make you feel bad. You are the most precious, giving, gracious people I know. I, when I meet with other pastors and I hear their stories about what's going on in their churches, I just sit quietly and go, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I am so proud to be called the pastor of Cornerstone Church. But guys, when it says that I will stand before the Father of the universe and give an account for your soul, I cannot stand there that day and have him look at me and say, Doug, you made him feel good. Why didn't you warn him? Why didn't you tell him to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven and focus on me because I am what matters? Because all of this happens the great Babylon in the world system and where we were is because the world hates Christ. And that's clear in Revelation 17 and 18. The world hates us because the world hates Jesus. This Spurgeon quote I saw the other day, it says this, If you have room for Christ, remember that from this day forward the world has no room for you. That's what the world thinks. Guys, here's the problem. The church, in a desire, I think in a healthy desire, to reach down into the muck and the filth and the mud that the, that the world is in, I think we fell in. I think we have to get the world out of the church for us to actually get into the world and be the light and the salt he's called us to be. And he's brought us to this very point in Revelation on purpose. 
we, we, we went through the toolkit and talking about upon this rock I'll build my church so you've been equipped to disciple and make disciples. We talked about the cross-centered life and how we need to focus our lives on the cross during the resurrection season. We just got done talking about, are you ready for this? This is what a Christian life looks like. Nailed to a, uh, chained to a wall. Are you ready for this? And now here we are saying, man, it's finished. Victory is ours, but the work ain't done. Let's get after it. So what in the world is God doing? Well, the material is Jesus Christ, and the message is the gospel. So let's go back to Revelation 1, and we're going to finish up looking at the last several verses in the chapter, but we're going to go relatively quickly because we're going to pick this back up next week because that's what next week's topic is, is the Christ. So in chapter, I'm in chapter 1, verse 4, here is the message. John, to the seven churches of, in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kingdom of the kings of the earth. I, I love that. So it's from him, the father, from the seven spirits. Seven is the number of completion. So that's just saying from the Holy Spirit. So from the father, from the Holy Spirit and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Now look at what it says. To him who loves us and revealed for us and, and released us, I'm sorry, from our sins by his blood, and he has made us a kingdom and priest to his, to his God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. So from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, from the Son, to the Son, to the Son. Oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways, Paul tells us in Romans 11. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? And who can give anything to him? God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our time. It's just an overflow of our heart for him. Who can give anything to him that he hasn't already given to us? And then get how Paul ends the gospel in Romans. After 11 chapters. For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. But key, guys, key in on verses 5 and 6, because that's our hope for today. Our hope for today is verses 5 and 6. He says, He loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. This is what he did for us. Why, Why did he do it? Because he loves us. How did he do it? Through, the, through his blood. And then it says, and, and what has he done? He's made us a kingdom and priest to God the Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever. For you, Cornerstone Church, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Because he's called you out of, his, out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9. He's coming in the clouds. I love how he says that. He's coming in the clouds. Why? Because that's the way he left. And it keeps us looking in the right direction. Guys, for us to see his revelation, what is revealed, we have to be looking in the right spot. And the spot is up. Where's heaven? It's up. How do I know it's going to come down? That's what I know. But guys, get this. When he says in verse, when he says, says, behold, I'm coming in the clouds, and then he says, and every eye will see him who pierced him. There's the gospel. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Guys, whatever is going on in your life, God's got this. God's got it. Guys, there's never been a time in God's eternal existence where he hoped something would happen. Just let that sink in. 
There has never been a time in the being who's lived forever where he was like, man, I sure hope that works out. Right? Never. He doesn't hope anything. He's in control of everything. Every molecule, every soul, every event. It doesn't mean, he, it doesn't mean he's orchestrating every bad thing in our lives. Our sin does that plenty on its own. But he's in control of all of it. That's why we don't need to fear what we're reading in Revelation. Because God is so good. And he's in control. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it when he talks about Aslan. He is dangerous. But he is good. That's our God. That's our Jesus. But guys, sometimes our lives look like a mess. Right? Like the back of a tapestry. It's just this big conglomeration of stuff. Because that's the view we get. But he's looking at it from the eternal. Remember what we talked It's an unveiling of the spiritual. The reality of our lives is he's orchestrating in you all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose because he is painting a beautiful picture of your life even when it feels from our perspective like a ginormous, sometimes not so glorious mess. That's why we need to be in books like Revelation so that it reminds us God, you are good. You are in control. Your plan sometimes looks hard, but it doesn't change the truth. You are good and you are in control. As the music team comes up and we take our time to respond to what God would have for us, because I want to remind you that God is never not in your moment. Right? He is the God who, I love how it says it. In, in, look, at, look at verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's, that's just the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And I'm every letter in between. He's saying I'm in the Alpha and the Omega. The, the God who, he doesn't start with, you think he'd say was, is, is to come. I'm the one who is and the one who was and the one who is to come. He is always in your moment. Yes, he came. And yes, he's coming back. But he is first and foremost always the God who is. The, pa the, the invocation passage that, that Brian read, tell him I am sent you. The scene in Matthew 14, I think it is, where Jesus compels his, his disciples to walk out on, or to, to go out on the boat on the water, and then he orchestrates a storm, and they're a mile away from the shore, and he's walking out on these waves. And he looks at them and he says, what he's saying to us today, the storms of life will rage. Stop being afraid. The great I am is here. That's what he's telling us today. Guys, life is hard. Walking with Jesus is hard. But it's so worth it. It's hard, not because of him, it's hard because of the other kingdom that is telling us all this anti-gospel garbage. I pray that during this season, during this series, we will, we will remember that someday it is done. And we won't have to worry about it anymore. But until that day comes, that we would live in the reality that it is finished. Guys, get this. If you are Jesus Christ's, his work on the cross gives you victory. His work 
on the cross gives you victory. His work on the cross gives you victory. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you for the truth that you are the good shepherd. I thank you that you do invite us to come to you, all who are weary and heavy laden, and that you will give us rest for our souls. I thank you for the truth that you are the conquering king, and that your word clearly says that when you return, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess you as Lord. But if they did not do so prior to that moment, it will be too late. So I pray for those in the sound of my voice right now who are too stiff need to get on them. I remember what I was like then. The arrogance. The belief that somehow I had to do something All of that is just spitting in the face of a God who hung on a cross and said, it is finished. Let us drink deeply and often, Lord Jesus, from your fount of living water. In Jesus' name, amen.